show um on netflix the great british bake off or some shit like that the great british baking championship okay it's like a baking it's a cooking show it's competition and it's a group of bakers and there's a panel of judges and each week someone gets eliminated they have to do these obscene baking challenges that are like predetermined by the judges or whatever Mm -hmm. um and it's british so This shit that they bake is, like, so obscenely British. Like, it's so much bread and, like... What do they make? Haggis and shit like that? uh, I I don't even know because I'm not... I don't have the fucking vocabulary to tell you what they're baking. But, like, for for one of the challenges, it was, like, make a bread sculpture. And, like... That's just a waste of food. That's what I'm saying. And I was watching it and they were making these fucking grandiose sculptures out of bread and like fucking glazing it with butter. And <laughs> and like I'm watching it with a group of people who are sitting there glued to it like this is like a fascinating display of their artistry and it's a competition yeah, and whatever. Are recording right now? Yeah, we're recording. Pretty <laughs> and, and I was just – I had never been – this was my first exposure to the show. I had – I was so grossed out just by the amount of like, first of all, bread is just like, that's just empty. There's no nutritional content there. It's just empty. But bread is pretty fire, but not, not bread is good. Some sculpture and shit. Like it was grotesque. (laughs) It was seriously grotesque just because it's like, no one is going to eat this. No, right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm looking at, so on Instagram, I follow uh, Grill Nation, right? And so they're like always, like normally they're making regular shit. Like, you know, a nice, you know, looking steak or something, right? Okay, that's cool. But this shit today, this loaded giant burger, like literally That's what they called it? Literally is... Uh, a burger that's the size of a plate, like a patty. That's the size of a plate. Oh. It's like spam, eggs, pineapple. Like what the? What is like? Who's eating? Who's like going to the restaurant and saying like, "Yo, give me the the loaded giant joint." No, and that's what the thing. It's like it's like the pornification of of right. food, which right. um, like it's just made to look. It's just they throw in all the basest like like things okay. like what are humans biologically yeah. conditioned to think is delicious? Right. Okay, fat. Let's throw in a bunch of fatty shit, right, like an right. OD amount of fatty shit. Let's throw it in salt, a bunch of salt, like an overload of salt. It's like it's like not food porn. It's porn in the form of food. Right. It's gross. It's playing it's, on desire. 
It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And like visually too. Right. It's so obscene. But my dick isn't hard. <laughs> <laughs> off of this at all. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah. Okay. So in conclusion. Pause. In conclusion, Great British Bake Off oh, is yeah, trash. I, I've never, I've never heard of the show. So. Yeah, it's on Netflix, and it definitely like, um, it like trends on YouTube and shit. And I'm like sitting there, fascinated that people like this is a a, a grotesque display. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. disgusting. Anyways, welcome to the Now That You Mention It podcast <laughs> with Kevin and Dane. I'm Dane, and I'm Kevin. What's happening? <laughs> so that was our impromptu opening segment. We actually do have a pre-prepared opening segment. We do? Oh, well, you do. Well, I, sort of. So I'm going to try to break it down, and I'm going to try to channel the, I don't know, contempt? Is contempt too strong of a word? The, the kind of rage that <laughs> was flowing through my veins as this whole thing unfolded over the past few days. So basically what happened is this. Last week, while Kevin and I were recording in the stew, mm. while we were toiling in the stew, which has no air conditioning, right. we noted that. And we noted also that air conditioning, what a, what a luxury air conditioning is. It is. It's so nice. And we were sort of talking about how awful it would be to go back in time and have to exist in a world with no air conditioning, you know, among other concerns. Probably as a white person, that would be my, you know, primary area of concern. No AC, you know. My, right. I, I'm chilling otherwise. Right. Yeah. But I'm evading slavery. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, we have the idea. Next week for the opening segment, let's do a little research. Find out who the fuck invented the AC. Thank him or her for their service and for making our lives a little more comfortable. Okay, that's the plan. I start doing my cursory research. Go online, type in AC, who invented it, blah, blah, blah. Everything that starts coming up is little blurbs. Is air conditioning sexist? <laughs> There's these, there are, I, I'm pretty sure a full-blown Twitter trending moment controversy, whatever you want to call it. Is AC sexist? Is AC ableist? All these buzzwords, right? So, I do a little digging, trying to get to the source. Mm -hmm. The source appears to be a tweet by this woman, which I have right here. Uh, she's Twitter verified with a blue check and is evidently some kind of, is evidently a, a staff writer for The Atlantic. The tweet reads as follows. Air conditioning is unhealthy, bad, miserable, and sexist. I can't explain how many times I've gotten sick over the summer because of overzealous AC in offices. Hashtag ban AC. And then a link to a New York Times article entitled, Do Americans Need Air Conditioning? So I decide I'm going to check out this New York Times article, get, getting ever closer to the source. Now it turns out, <laughs> this New York Times article is very, very nuanced and leveled in its analysis. And basically, this woman named Penelope Green wrote a nice, nuanced article in the New York Times basically arguing that extreme air conditioning in commercial office spaces might not be the best 
solution among a range of other alternatives that she lays out, like you know, designing buildings to have natural ventilation that cool down as with the night and like super ergonomic. And she also said that gender was not a predictor of what level of like coolness or heat uh, a person is comfortable at. That's more a culturally learned behavior according to this study that she cited. Mm. She continues to say that there is a quote, oft-cited study that shows how building temperatures were once set to the preferences of men in the 1960s, wearing their suits, their three-piece woolen suits or whatever. And basically, this is where the controversy has started. And she goes on to say, this is a direct quote, the New York Times article, come summer, Twitter invariably lights up with charges that air conditioning is sexist an engine of the patriarchy in threads that in turn fire up conservative commentators eager to prove the daftness of the opposition. She continues, building temperatures are largely controlled by building managers to industry standards that aim for the thermal comfort of 80% of a building's occupants. So this is what happened. A nice nuanced article about AC comes up. This woman Maybe doesn't even read the article, I don't know, but then draws the conclusion that AC is sexist, unhealthy, bad, ban AC. So, rage <laughs> is coursing through my veins at this point as I'm noticing it. What, what is your reaction before I get into, so that's the situation. What is your reaction to all of that? Uh, much ado about nothing. Ah, uh, yeah. But come on, we got to pretend it matters for my... No, you can continue to pretend like it matters. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep going. I, I'm, I'm, I'm being entertained right now. Okay. So my reaction to it, which I, when I first discovered this, I quickly jotted down my initial thoughts and then didn't take the time to go back and edit them and, and see if they were cogent at all. My th little note reads, first world, first world problems, OD. Mm -hmm. My second note reads, quote, your privilege is showing, which I interpret as, okay, if you, this is like so woke, what, like when wokeness goes wrong, like the Chappelle skit right. of like when being real, when being too, keeping it real goes wrong, whatever. Mm -hmm. The third thing is that your, or this woman is taking her personal preference for like, not being, I don't know, uncomfortably cold in offices and exporting that and, and citing like systemic injustice as a cause for her like personal preference, which is so arrogant and narcissistic and fucked up. You'd be like, if I had a personal preference and I, you know, fucking claim reverse racism or some shit like right. that. It's so demeaning, but that's and, it, and it downplays like, and, and it, shit. And, yeah, but that's but that's what you said. It it all goes back to privilege. Like she's a you know I'm assuming she's a white woman working for the Atlantic with a you know verified Twitter account. Like she's obviously going through the world with a you know a very favorable amount of privilege where she's able to move and maneuver in the world. So the way that she even frames issues and shit is you know is already convoluted at best and so to even like try to make this into a sort of a real gender debate is you know 
it's bush league. I guess you would say like, yeah, it's like it's giving fodder to the fucking legion of like so-called conservative or so-called journalists that are on the right that all they care about is like nitpicking the minutia, the the fucked up minutia of like what's going on in in woke Twitter. Right. And right. then they they cite that as evidence for you see it in YouTube in all caps has the left gone too far <laughs> exactly. like like liberals gets owned by logic and facts like all that weird fucking like rabbit hole of of youtube like these these conservative cats they just want to like own the libs like they and it's just it's just so catering to that it's like here like here's a fucking layup it's also like talking about two episodes ago like the cancel culture thing just thinking in terms of like these absolutes it's so like mono or like binary like but that's hashtag ban ac right but that's like that's the conclusion that she reached not like maybe ac is somewhat of an issue for some (laughs) people and maybe it disproportionately affects women and that has a historical legacy that's fine right I'm not going to deny that it probably in the 60s was a manifestation of like some kind of like sexism because they were like, yeah, fuck the secretaries. I don't care. The men are wearing their fucking suits, whatever. But like hashtag ban AC is so like lowest common denominator, no effort thinking like, okay, cancel it. It's done. Exactly. Which is that's cancel culture for you. Like this is what this is the culture that we live in, bro. It's like all of this shit. So the fact that somebody can be quote unquote woke by you know by trying to reach in the way that she did and then to even like come back and and see that you probably didn't read the fucking article because if you would have read the article then you would know that your conclusion would be well maybe ac isn't that good for everyone instead of fuck it let's just do away with ac and the article anticipated her reaction right it totally called out every summer this is the debate rages up is twitter sexist and it's sort of like the whole which is a clear indication that you didn't read the article (laughs) (laughs) because because you would have you would have at the very least known not to tweet that shit out even if that's how you really feel yeah and i was like ready to be similar similarly fucking incensed at the new york times article like because okay she's citing this as evidence for her proclamation that uh ac is sexist so i was like ready primed to be incensed like confirmation bias like this shit is ridiculous but then it was like a totally reasonable article so yeah that's my opening segment that's my rant AC for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) AC is so fucking nice. Turn that shit up. Turn well. Turn it to six. I'm like sixty five degrees AC. Hell yeah. Yeah, Like I need that shit at night too. Like it needs to be freezing. (laughs) Right. And I've I've definitely like gotten sick a couple times from like overzealous AC as the really as the one. I've never gotten sick. I think probably because I didn't clean it and it was sort of like the like the unfiltered or like the dirty filter or whatever 
like dirty cold air <laughs> dirty cold air just blasting on me all night so like i'm not you know uh, a shill for the, the ac industry right yeah Bronny loves the ac Bronny's fucking adorable Bronny needs to uh that's kevin's adorable dog Bronny needs to get up on this podcast i know he will okay so that is the that marks the end of my rant about air conditioning but oh wait we didn't even the cat who invented it is a dude named willis carrier a, a new yorker 1902 1902 invented modern ac in a warehouse in brooklyn hmm thank you willis carrier good looking willis thank you all right you got anything for anything else to add for the opening segment um, hey you haven't done a shout out in, the, in a minute i know Shout out to India Love, the Westbrook sister. Not the Westbrooks, bro. Let me wait. India Love, like the. Did, wasn't she fucking with the game? Yeah. Yeah. And like little Yachty, too? Yeah. I need that. Wait, whose sister? They're the Westbrooks. It's like. Oh, she has a sister. Yeah, I didn't she know. Has, Crystal is super fire. Wasn't she like married to the game? I don't think so. She just. They just go together. <laughs> they just go together. You know, I'm like, I remember, I'm like a fucking woman from the 1950s. They go together. They neck. They neck in parked cars. Wait, hold on. This is uh, this is Crystal. This is the, this is our sister who's delicious. <laughs> Shout out to India Love. And our sister, Crystal. And our sister, Crystal. All right. When we come back, we are talking about gentrification. I know. Some some real shit. All right, when we get back. Welcome back to the Now That You Mention It podcast with Kevin and Dane. I'm Dane, as I already said. Oh, yeah, we don't do this shit twice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, quickly at this moment in the show, um, we get to plug our social media and shit like that. Yeah. Um, all of the social media is at NTYMIPod. That's a Twitter, an Instagram, and sadly a Facebook. Our Gmail account is the same. NTYMIPod at gmail.com. Is there anything else to plug? Oh, I mean, we're on Apple, Spotify, Spotify, Stitcher, Stitcher, whatever the fuck that is, but we're on it. Google Play. Google Play. What? Whoever uses that, we got you covered. Yeah. We're we're making inroads. There's some, there's Amazon one. Tune in. We're not on tune in yet, but Mm. tune in. Tune in for tune in. (laughs) (laughs) Watch out. Watch out. Tune in. Okay. Okay. How about tune in? Apparently, it's you gotta be on tune in as well. We got some shit coming for you too. 
YouTube, yeah, we're 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 working on some shit. Working on getting the YouTube channel like to be fully representative of our full like catalog of shit. Right. Um in addition to doing some, you know, cheap clickbait. Yeah, got it. Trying that. to uh capitalize on the algo. Got to. <laughs> <laughs> Not the algo. The algo. <laughs> algo inspo. Okay, so now it's about to get super serious. Actually, try not to get too serious. Today we're talking about gentrification. And the main questions we're going to try to answer are, does gentrification have a moral valence? And what is the effect of gentrification on urban authenticity? Before we get there, though, I think in order to talk about gentrification, you have to talk about where people live. Mm-hmm. And where people live, like the battlegrounds of, of gentrification, neighborhoods, uh, has has been shaped by segregation. So we used a text called The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein, a sort of like the backbone of this discussion to sort of have in the, in the back of our minds. Um, and so to give a quick synopsis of what Rothstein is up to, his project is to distinguish between what's called de facto segregation and De jure, de jure, yeah, segregation. So his goal is basically to debunk the myth of de facto segregation in the United States and prove that segregation is de jure or a result of intentional government action. So de facto segregation is the myth that segregation is, quote, the unintended consequence of individual choices and of otherwise well-meaning law or regulation. De facto meaning, like, in fact— in effect, practices that exist in reality, even if not officially recognized or, or sanctified by law. So the myth of de facto segregation is something that I think like culturally in America, we've just come to accept. And Rothstein actually talks about how it's kind of perpetuated in the classroom sort of on a, right. on, I guess on a more granular, granular level, like kids in public schools are being taught that, yeah, we, we sort of do live in a segregated society, but it's not the result of explicit government policy. It is sort of the result of um, personal preference and all all these sort of factors, explanatory factors. Um, Okay, and I think it would just be instructive to talk about one example to illustrate the kinds of things that – I don't – how do I say it? Just one example of how um, de jure segregation, segregation – uh, like as practiced by the government by law that's just jim crow yeah yeah i mean like if you think about you just think about it geographically like the south was you know sort of organized around de jure segregation the urban north the midwest and the west as those as you know black people left the south and moved into those, you know, moved into the New Yorks and Newarks and Chicago's and L.A.'s and shit like that. That's where the de facto segregation, you know, sort of comes into play. Although what Rothstein, you know, lays out is through federal policy, through, you know, housing, redlining, things like that, that were either mandated or sort of, look, you know, the government looked the other way on that type of shit, allowed for, you know, a sort of de facto de jure 
<laughs> segregation. Yeah. So also this is like Kevin, you have spent a lot of time yeah. studying the literature and Yeah. No, yeah. that's why I'm I'm letting you do the Yeah, the, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'm, I'll, I'm, I'll, this is not my I'll color the shit in. Yeah. So let me quote one passage from Rothstein that I thought was just particularly incisive and sort of emblematic of his project as a whole. It reads, Until the last quarter of the 20th century, racially explicit policies of federal, state, and local governments defined where whites and African Americans should live. The policy was so systematic and forceful that its effects endure to the present time. Without our government's purposeful imposition of racial segregation, the other, the other causes, private prejudice, white flight, real estate steering, bank redlining, income differences, and self-segregation, still would have existed but with far less opportunity for expression. Segregation by intentional government action is not de facto. Rather, it is what courts call de jure, segregation by law and public policy. So the one example... I wanted to bring up was like Rothstein talks about the the Veterans Administration, the VA, mm-hmm. having an official policy of segre- of racial discrimination after World War II. So what yeah. happened was basically after World War II, black veterans wouldn't apply for um, government guaranteed mortgages for buying a home in like the burgeoning Levittown suburbs right. because they knew that they'd be turned down by the VA. So Rothstein writes. Those veterans then did not gain wealth from home equity appreciation, as did white veterans, and their descendants could then not inherit wealth, as did white veterans' descendants. So that's just one small but concrete example to show that an explicit legacy of racial segregation exists. Right. Um, Okay, and in case it's not obvious, like, why we're talking about this in the forefront, it's like these... Segregated areas are the battlegrounds of definition of battlegrounds of gentrification. Right. Okay. What do you take to be the definition of gentrification? Mm. White people moving. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's it's just gonna devolve into right. white people bashing at some right. point. Right. Uh, no, it's I. I think uh, gentrification has to do with. Or it's a process by which, you know, capital, new capital is flowing into the city, which, or whatever area, right? You can gentrify the suburbs or the gentrify rural area. However capital moves in and sort of redirects the economy, which then has to bring in new workers, new labor who may not, you know, you may not be able to get that from whatever the current population is. What that what that does is just raise, you know, rent, housing rates and all that kind of shit. People who live there can't afford to live there anymore. So they have to leave. Yeah, that's a phenomenon uh, like in the academic literature on the subject. That's known as displacement. Right. Right. Okay. so, yeah. Fuck, you're like right on it. You know, you're not even looking like you're not even looking at my notes, (laughs) but you like anticipated everything like. Yeah. So I looked up the definition of well, the etymology of gentrification, which comes from the word gentry, which refers to like the upper ruling class. I think technically it refers to like an, it's a British word and it's like the class right before the actual noble motherfuckers were the gentry, but basically means like the upper ruling class. And then 
gentrification is like the process of. So it's like the process of making something like upper class. Right. So from one of the articles we read by Tom Slater called Missing Marcusa. Is that it? Marcusa. Marcusa. Fuck. Okay. Um, Got to get your continental uh, philosophy game up. Yeah, I know. Shit. (laughs) Uh, Tom Slater writes... Gentrification is the transformation of a working class or vacant area of a city into middle class residential and or commercial use. Um, And then Marcuse himself in what I take to be a really important text in this or paper in this. um, Yeah. Kevin's nodding his head confirming. (laughs) Um, Right. That's why I signed it. (laughs) (laughs) Gentrification occurs when new residents who disproportionately are young, white, professional, technical and managerial workers with higher education and income levels replace older residents who disproportionately are low income, working class and poor minority and ethnic group members and elderly from older and previously deteriorated, deteriorated inner city housing in a spatially concentrated manner. That is to a degree differing substantially from the general level of change in the community or region as a whole. So yeah, basically Okay, next question for you. Why does gentrification occur? Um, hmm. I would say because the... Is this a test? No, I'm just playing. No, uh, no, no, not no, at all. I'm, this I'm is like genuinely... You. No, I'm fucking with you. Um, no, I would say because just the way the economy changes, right? Like there's always... so. I guess it sort of put put this in historical context is like when you had wartime, you had the wartime industry, right? We're talking about like factories and manufacturing and shit like that. Um, this is post-war, you know, post-1945. And so in the, in the cities, the manufacturing sector was still booming. Cats were still moving to the city in order to get those jobs. But by the time, let's take L.A., for example, by the time you get to 1965, those jobs have moved to the suburbs. So like now industry, the manufacturing sector has moved to the suburbs and the burgeoning sort of aerospace um, industry is moving out to the valleys and shit like that. And so now the the suburbs have all the money sort of, you know, all the, the tax money, all the tax breaks, everything is sort of... Um, making sure that the suburbs are functioning right where the where industry is at, right? And so now as we move out of the manufacturing industry into the service-based industry, service-based economy, the city is more equipped to deal with the service-based economy. We have all these new tech companies, all these tech startups, all that kind of shit. So cats are moving into the city because it works better. And so, again, when that money comes in, the old money got to go out. That simple. <laughs> Damn, bro. Clearly, you haven't even studied this shit at all. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you're just like a fuck. What's the word? Spitballing. Char- charlatan. <laughs> Clearly, you're just, just going off. I'm just spitballing. Yeah, right you're just vibing. Right. Um, <laughs> vibing in the stew. <laughs> Yo, I'm dead. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. So 
this is the way, because in reading all the articles you sent over, I was trying to piece it together too. And I was like, okay, in order to really understand the arguments of these articles, I need to have some kind of working knowledge of like, okay, why does gentrification even occur? And so what I piece together myself and tell me if this is this um, vibes with like mm-hmm. what's standard, like accepted as being real. So basically gentrification is the result of, like you were saying, like the economy changing in the cities. Mm-hmm. So like you already hit on it, but I read it's about, yeah, like the shift from manufacturing in the cities to not manufacturing, which reduces the demand for manual labor, mm-hmm. like for blue collar labor, right. labor, which affects the that workforce, right? And then, so yeah, so large parts of that workforce are, are now redundant. Mm-hmm. And so then it, so then just off rip, it becomes more difficult for that segment of the workforce to pay their rent. And then you have like the increasing professionalization of the city in terms of workforce. So you have like, oh shit, more need for like, yeah, like managerial positions and mm-hmm. shit, like, like the definition read. And, so, and then so that concentration of that type of industry in the central city creates housing demand for those cats that want to live right next to the city. Right. And then so that's where there's increasing demand for like the white collar work and then the property values around the central city go up. Right. And then people end up being displaced. Right. And so, so like, for instance, like in LA right now, um, you have that process sort of happening in reverse where white flight occurred in, you know, 65. Because where my, like, where my house is in South Central LA right now, in 1960, that block was predominantly white. And so... Now, I think my brother said something like a white couple just moved in, like on the block. Really? Yeah, I think so. Um, Don't quote me. But what I will say is the people who are like leaving L.A. are moving out to the valleys and stuff like that because, you know, they have an opportunity to get a a house or whatever for those who were maybe renting or whatever, right? They, they can rent a house or maybe buy a house or some, some shit like that. But essentially that process is happening in reverse now. So now all the, the white collar workers are moving into the city. These tech companies are doing co-working spaces and a lot of this stuff that just accommodates an, you know, urban lifestyle just is going to ne- necessarily require you to find housing, you got to find housing, got to have food. Cats aren't trying to live in food deserts, so got to, you know, build a whole foods. Like, so it's shit like that where eventually, like, you have people who are just going to be, you know, displaced um, just by the, the sheer force of the price, you know, the uh, the cost of living going up. But then you also have a lot of people who are like jumping ahead of it and they're just leaving, which is kind of stupid. 
<laughs> because if you hold on to the shit that you do have in the city like that, it, it could be worth so much more. But, you know. Okay. So. Hmm. I guess I don't want to paint the picture that it's <clears throat> gentrification is totally this phenomenon that occurs just because of market forces and it's like we can't control it because in the um, one article that I'm blanking on even what magazine it was in but it talked about how the city of New York from the 1920s onward sort of recognized what was happening and then took measures to ensure that it happened by like cutting off funding for public transportation, for instance, mm-hmm. to areas where gentrification was already, was already taking place. Right. Um, there, thereby like for like exasperating what was already happening and making it way more welcoming. I think they changed like the, like the zoning stuff too. Just making it way more welcoming for, you know, the business elite to come in and shit like that. So it's not totally this this phenomenon that occurs just like in a vacuum, I guess you could say. Right. No. And, and yeah, that's why I tried to like contextualize it because it's a process. And so what what decisions are made in in terms of how funding goes into cities and at what point it goes into cities and goes into different communities and stuff and how you determine those investments are choices that people make. Right. So, so yeah, of course. Um, but again, you aren't making those choices counter to what the flow of the economy is. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that that's all that's all I was trying to like. Yo, cats are going crazy on the horn out there. I know. Fucking New York. <laughs> um okay, so let's get to this. I don't know, somewhat difficult question. Does gentrification have a moral moral valence? Is gentrification good, bad, amoral? Can you even classi- classify it along those lines? And so one thing to just get out the way is in the um, in the Tom Slater article, he's basically taking on scholars of gentrification that are in some way actually arguing that gentrification is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So here's a quote from one of those scholars that argues that gentrification is a good thing. Some critics of gentrification have selected or limited memories. Now he's, this author is now speaking to people who think that gentrification is a bad thing. Some critics of gentrification have selective or limited memories. They forget that 30 years ago, Britain's inner cities seemed to be in a long-term spiral of economic and social decline and the middle classes were leaving in droves. The question that gentrification critics have to address is what would they do? Would they like to turn back the clock to the urban dereliction and decay of 40 years ago? Or would, they, or would they accept that gentrification may have some positive benefits? Would they prefer the middle classes to abandon the inner cities and flee to the suburbs as they did in the 1970s and are still doing in the U.S.? Or return to the inner cities? They can't have it both ways. 
Kevin, your response. <laughs> That's bullshit. Um, because now you're looking at it in a vacuum when you say that. Like now it's just it's solely about the sort of market uh, viability of the inner city, right? Whereas critics of gentrification are not only talking about like the economic ramifications, but are also like the cultural aspects, like who, like who's benefiting from this shit. And so if you aren't answering that question, like, oh, it's the middle class. Well, yeah, the middle class also benefited from, you know, the fucking suburbs. Right. And so who, who was left with, you know, with shit when the suburbs were popping. And so now you're just telling me, oh, Look at the city, though. But the same people are benefiting from that, and you're going to have the same issues now in the suburbs that you had in the inner city. They're just going to be in the suburbs now because it's all sort of going back to poverty. It's all going back to, like, what they consider to be, you know, impoverished communities and shit like that. And so how do we... And then that's another thing, too, is that by gentrifying, like, impoverished communities and shit, you're actually making money. Like yeah. it, you, you're turning a profit. The shit is dirt cheap when you get it. You fix it up, and you're able to turn a, a stupid profit that you can't otherwise in a community where the property value is already sky high. You don't have act the same access to getting as many properties and resources and shit like that. So, I mean, okay. So, what about? And basically, what I threw at you was was saying what I'm about to say, but okay. Let's take the this little selection from an article. Gentrification improves the quality of housing. It contributes to the tax base. It revitalizes important sections of the city through private initiative. And the displacement it causes, if any, is trivial. That's the that's the entire issue is the displacement. Like the fact that you have to displace an entire community of people in order to revitalize that community says it's something flawed about your plan of revitalization. Right. So what I found especially interesting about those um, arguments against critics of gentrification is that it's sort of treating gentrification as the only conceivable way to like improve right. the city. <laughs> exactly. Which just seems wrong. And it's also like in terms of the first quote I read, the author um that the article that quote appeared in criticized the quote by saying like it totally erroneously treats the middle class like they're the they're what determines whether or not a city is healthy or something, right. you know? Like, the, whether or not the gentry is in the city is an indicator of whether or not the city is, like, healthy, right. you know? Um, okay, so, yeah. I was, by the way, I was just giving Kevin the layups. <laughs> I was just embodying the arguments. I don't actually no, bro, think gentrification no, I, I, is a good thing. I think they caught that. It's <laughs> so fucking obvious. Um, okay, so, yeah, fucking argument one, gentrification is a good thing. Check that motherfucker yeah. off. Yeah. Okay. 
So, okay, so then where do you land? Like, is gentrific- can we even classify gentrification along moral lines? Like, can we even judge it like that? I don't think so. Because, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a process. And so, like, that's like saying, you know, it's capitalism. Like, and I know a lot of people say, like, yeah, capitalism is immoral. Like, no, I think capitalism is amoral. I think how people utilize the shit, right? Like, so when we look at when we look at gentrification, like how are we revitalizing communities and cities and shit, and the actors in that, like the the people who make these decisions and whatever, the fact that their decisions are driven by, you know, wealth, by whatever, by the gentry, right? I think. That's that's what's fucked up. So we could talk about the people like the city planners and, you know, developers and shit like that. Fucking Robert Moses. Right. Fuck Robert Moses. Like we could talk about we could talk about people like that. And, you know, in terms of like, are they, you know, immoral or some shit? But the process itself, I think is just amoral. Okay. I'm just going to agree with you. (laughs) It's amoral. I don't know. I mean, there's something that just feels, I mean, I've lived in a bunch of gentrifying slash gentrified neighborhoods. Right. And if you couldn't tell listenership, I'm white. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm mad white. And so I don't know. There's something that always just feels not quite like, totally kosher i don't know to- totally how to put it in words it's like hmm. i don't know and maybe that's my healthy amount of white guilt yeah like would, manifesting I would, itself i would say so i would say so but okay just to just to make it like just to use a personal example like i had i, I definitely told you this before but i was in the laundromat one time um, around the corner from here, not that long after I moved in. Mm-hmm. And I do remember. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was wearing like pretty, I would say nondescript. I was like, I was doing laundry. So I was in like gym shorts and a t shirt. And I was wearing Air Force Ones, white Air Force Ones, low, which are like Harlem staple. Right. Um, like definitely like a cornerstone of like Harlem culture, fashion, like uptowns. But you know, I've I've worn I've always worn them for whatever that's worth. And dude walks in and like I'm on my headphones, I can't really hear him, but I see him like shaking his head at me. He's like he's like my age. And he kind of looks like he's talking. So I take out my headphones and I'm like, I'm like, yo, can I can I help you? And I forget what he's I forget what the quote was exactly what he was like. He was like, they fucking take everything. He wasn't like, he was talking at me, not to me type Mm -hmm. shit. Mm -hmm. Like they fucking take everything. And I was like, I was more confused than I was confrontational. Like I was like, I was like, what's up? And then he's like fucking culture, culture vulture. And he was clearly, (laughs) he was gesturing at my shoes or something like that. Like that's what set him off. I could tell. Right. And so like, when shit like that happens to me, I'm like, I don't know. I, I I guess I understand. 
I don't know. I'm not like yeah. my immediate reaction isn't like fuck that motherfucker. He doesn't know me. Like, well, right, right. like I mean, there's a part of me that's like that, but my the overwhelming reaction is like, I mean, I I get it. Yeah, and that's that's really that's the important part, I guess, for me is like understanding that that you know identity and everything has sort of been for the last you know my mom was born sorry to age you mama but uh my mom was born in 1960 right so thinking of like my mom growing up in LA till you know so we have 1960 2019 and just thinking of like the culture that has been you know created and established in these cities you know by these communities or whatever right like whether that's whether that's, you know, the black community, whether that's the Latinx community, whatever it is, right? Like the fact that people have have, have their identities tied to these particular spaces, that's the shit that's like that gentrification doesn't account for, right? Which as a process, I don't think it really What do you mean can. gentrification doesn't account for? I, I, I just totally want to understand what you're saying. In terms of like the cultural, so like when when you bring in the, you know the the boutique coffee shop like i i love oh it's I love, it's totally divorced from the reality right yeah, like right. i i love my cortado right mm-hmm. but you know i understand like seeing a fucking boutique coffee shop you know espresso bar like seeing that shit where it used to be you know dude from up the street is his pops bodega or some shit like that then you like okay this isn't for us, like, because this shit would have been here. So when you see, I mean, like, you can even look at, like, you wearing those shoes, being in Harlem, you wearing those shoes in Harlem is, like, an affront to people, in a sense, right? Where it's for like, sure. okay, you're, you know, you're taking the space, but then you're also appropriating the culture in a way that, you know, you're just consuming it. Like you don't really, you don't really understand it. You don't really know the experience, blah, 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 whatever that's, you know, tied to why cats in Harlem gotta be fly. Why the uptowns mean so much Mm. in, in all of that shit. Right. So it's the cultural aspect is, is what people get emotional about more so than I think the economic aspect of it. Like people aren't even really concerned with that shit. Um, unfortunately, but definitely in terms of like the cultural impact, like the fact that it's a, if you listen to any West Coast hip hop, if you watch Boys in the Hood and all that shit, you've seen Crenshaw Boulevard and you've seen how cats are on the Shaw in their cars and all of that kind of shit. Like that was something that we did. Like I vivid, I had vivid, vivid memories of being on the Shaw in high school and shit. But having those memories and to see that now there's this, you know, express train like split right through Crenshaw and, you know, not, they had to knock down certain stores and all of that shit is like, okay, this shit isn't for us. Yeah. And so seeing that, you know, you're you're more so connected to the cultural element of that, like what the Shaw meant on that level more so than you like they knocked down, you know, they knocked down shit on some economic level. So Yeah. So I was thinking about that incident that happened to me 
or no, let less specifically about that incident and more generally like why at to put it in your language like it could be considered an affront just like to be seen up here and just to bring it back to the color of law it's like the gentrifiers themselves might not be morally culpable mm-hmm. for like any kind of wrongdoing or whatever right but the symbolic element of like, okay, now there's white people who are better off choosing to live here, mm. where the where for gener years and years generations people were pushed here, pushed there exactly, and so it's sort of like this glaring symbol of privilege, exactly. You know, like like the autonomous agent with privilege chooses to live there versus. Generations of discrimination in housing policy and all that. So shit. this is this this leads me into one of my favorite sort of concepts is mobility. So you can like stylize it like immobility and mobility. You can you know put I M in parentheses spell out mobility, and that's <clears throat> that's literally how this how this works is those with privilege, those with economic resources have the mobility and have that that autonomy and that choice. Whereas even the people who are in the lower income community, in the inner cities who don't have that same privilege and are mobile, like cats are moving often, like are, you know, you get put out of this spot or you got to get a new apartment over here, whatever the fuck it is, you're mobile, but you're still rendered immobile because those aren't, you aren't moving under your own choice. Right. So you don't have the autonomy to move under your own volition. Yeah. Right. And so the fact that you have cats who are like. Who are seeing, you know, you have communities who who see people are like, like you said, choosing to live here and shit now, where it's like, damn, I can't do like even when when you have to move to the suburbs or get pushed out or whatever, you're get, you're being dislocated, like you're being, you know, displaced like that shit has not those are those forces are working on you rather than you working through those forces like people with privilege are able to do. Yeah. So that's pretty dope that that you like made that that you made that connection because I think that's what like speaking speaking from like my perspective, I'll say like people I've come across and had these conversations with of your ilk. don't really understand that oh phase that's a good one (laughs) they don't really understand that and that's like yeah that's like the most important part to me is like understanding the the fact that the whole shit is contingent upon your privilege and if you don't understand that shit then you're fucked yeah i mean i definitely didn't just like this is not like some a priori wokeness like reading the the color of law really helped like solidify those those concepts in my head like where like i was saying like the healthy amount of white guilt was doing its its work mm-hmm. in certain respects but actually you know like reading in concrete terms about the VA right denying mortgages i don't i don't know all the jargon but all of those concrete examples that have in turn shaped where different demographic demographics of people live 
it just yeah that just really like solidified it's like oh okay now people who who can choose to live in certain places are are doing that where that has not been an option for the people that typically traditionally have lived in these places anyways okay so this might be a good place to talk about just like the egregiousness of some kind of 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 gentrification Mm mm-hmm like, did you hear about the fucking spot in Brooklyn with the bullet holes? No. Oh, this is good. Okay. No. I, it'd be good to get your reaction to this. So, fuck, I keep hitting the mic. Um, And this is some... No, this was not planned in the episode outline. So this might be all be factually... I, I don't know where this is about, where this is about to land. <laughs> but okay. To my knowledge, I think in Bed-Stuy... Uh, a recent uh, denizen of, of Bed-Stuy from like Canada mm-hmm. opened up a restaurant cafe or something in an old building. And the building apparently had bullet holes in it. The wall. So he kept the bullet holes for authenticity? <laughs> Yo, how did you just anticipate it? So it was a woman and and the the especially egregious part was it was like part of the advertising part of the marketing for it. like authentic <laughs> authentic bullet holes from the building fast or okay let me throw that one at you or there was the one i think i think i did a pretty good job of representing what actually happened there or there was the one also in brooklyn too i don't know what neighborhood specifically in brooklyn but it was a restaurant that was advertising slash really selling like 40s and paper bags did you hear about that one? No. Like they were like, that was a menu right. item. Like 40, 40 with a brown paper, paper bag. <laughs> and like there were like the requisite like. Get the fuck out of here. Like, like there were, I think there were legitimate protests. Of, that's for trash. The, for the, uh, the bullet holes one. Or maybe for both. I don't know. It should have been for both. Yeah. That's garbage. Wow. Um, See, shit re- like that is so tone deaf. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, and that's like this obsession with authenticity. So like even the cats who are moving in are like, oh, I want this authentic experience or whatever. So it's like the fact that you reduce that experience to, you know, 40 ounces and fucking bullet holes is like, <laughs> that shit is crazy. It's, yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. I, I, um, I cringe. I find myself cringing a lot at like the uptown gentrifiers. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. There's just something that's like, for example, like the big L mural right around the corner. Oh, you and I were walking out my right. front door the other day and we saw I, that dude must have been like Nordic. Europe, yeah, he European. Was European. His fashion, sure. was his European fashion indicated sure. that he was yeah. European, but like. Taking the cell, taking the portrait in front of the big right. L mural, wearing their like like their impression of like streetwear, hip hop fashion, and like right. or like I've seen I've seen like groups of white tourists like legitimately like throwing up gang gang signs in front of the in front of the big L mural for like a group portrait. Which like <laughs> I don't like I don't know what to say. It just makes my it just makes my skin crawl. It's like the Jonah Hill thing. No, it's the same exact it, thing. It comes back to the Jonah Hill on the Breakfast Club. It's thing. the it's the same exact Just thing. Just be regular, right? That's like the least you could like. 
Like, it's like, what? what's the, like, the Hippocratic Oath? Like, do no harm, man. Right, <laughs> like, right, like, right. like, it's the least you could do to just be, not be so extra. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't imagine, like, living here with the big L uh, mural. Like, that's, it's a landmark. And so, yeah, cats, like, cats who've never heard a big L verse. That's what I'm saying. Are, like, standing in front of it. That's trash. That's trash. Don't do nip like that in LA. I don't even though think they're so. even though they're probably doing it. I mean, I don't know. Give it because Big L. Oh no, yeah, died I mean, yeah. In he was ninety nine, ninety seven. I thought ninety seven. Yeah, yeah. Because he was born in seventy four, and he was twenty three when he died. Right. Got to do our Googles. Yep. Big L. Yeah, ninety nine. Ninety nine. I got his, I got I his year right. Listen, listen, listen. Just listen to me, okay? I said 99. <laughs> <laughs> 97. Okay. So, all right, we solved gentrification. We did? <laughs> yeah, we, I don't know. Fuck. What's um, the second question? The second question is for you to just fucking riff on. What is the effect of gentrification on urban authenticity? Well, when we say urban authenticity... Like, we have to frame that, like, within the hip-hop context, too, right? So, the fact that hip-hop has was born, you know, in the city, right? There's, there's, this, uh, there's this idea of authenticity that's obviously tied to that. And it's just interesting how that might have to change, but I don't think so. But people might feel like it has to change because the city is changing, right? Okay, to be super concrete with it, if you're a black hip hop artist growing up in a neighborhood, in the five boroughs, for instance, you're saying you no longer will have a viable level of authenticity if you are from a block that also has an artisan deli on it pickle shop coffee shop (laughs) (laughs) right right like that shit like when 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 the city changes completely to like completely over to the gentry then obviously that'll have to change right like you can't be from you can't say like oh i'm from uptown and uptown means something different right i mean you can't be from williamsburg Right, you can't be from Williamsburg, right? And so, so it's just going to be interesting. Like now that like cats are moving like to the outskirts, moving to the burbs and shit like that, how that's going to change. And so, what what really made me think about that was uh, Ferguson, Ferguson, Missouri, and the fact that like St. Louis is the city, Ferguson is the suburb, Mm -hmm. but Ferguson is you know completely fucking defunded. It's, you know, the police are corrupt. Like, all the trappings of inner-city poverty are now exported to the suburbs because St. Louis is under its, you know, process of gentrification. And so it's like, now are cats going to be coming out of the suburbs? Like, big shooting, killing, robbing shit. Like, it, but that's the thing, is like, we've, we've invested so much in the city 
we've invested so much of the, the, the music, the identity, the culture and everything is sort of tied to the city like that, that although I believe that, you know, obviously the, the fucking experience will stay the same if, you know, people are still impoverished, right? But the way in which we sort of like, I don't know, it just seems like it's going to be different though, the way that we sort of accept hearing a cat from the suburbs rap about shit versus him coming from the city. Like that's just going to be, I don't know, that phenomenon. I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting for the first like street burb rapper to come out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like as someone who grew up in the suburbs of New York City, I feel like the suburbs are nowadays what technically you would consider the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Places like White Plains, New York, right. Stanford, Connecticut. Like these places are actually less segregated to me. Or no, mm. I feel like just descriptively, like I feel like they're way less segregated. They're, it's slowly becoming like the suburbs are more city than the city. And like, where I used to work at a coffee shop out in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, that seems like the suburbs to me now. Like, it's like you have, in the coffee shop, you have yoga moms drinking oat milk lattes, people walking their designer dogs and chatting outside. And it's like, I'm like, oh, this is the sub, this is like the suburb culture, you know? And it's like, when I go out, I don't know, go out to a bar when I'm in the suburbs, it's like, for the most part, you get a fucking mix of people. Mm-hmm. Like, you have the Wall Street bros. You have, like, you ha- you just have everyone right. in one space where I feel like in the city. I feel like I'm at, like, a white bar downtown or, <laughs> you know, like, I'm uptown and it, I'm one of the few white people there. You know what? I, I think this is, like, also becoming because of how you describe the suburbs. With like there being this mixture. Oh, and by the way, I need to. I don't don't want to cut you off, but by the way, the suburbs are still od segregated in places. Right. Like, yeah. like the town I grew up in is predominantly predominantly white, but it's like then there are sort of like bigger suburban cities mm-hmm. where you have yeah, like I was saying, more of a mix. Yeah, and yeah. for sure the suburbs are still have that whole legacy of. Homeowners associations and exactly. all of all of that shit very yeah. much. Yeah, I'm like not that, saying like, yeah, that's yeah, that's not that's not gone. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is like how how much of it is becoming a class issue. So like, oftentimes like cats are moving, like white flight happens, and not everybody who was white was able to get out there, right? Like. In the same way where you have like these bigger suburban cities that have a mixture of, you know, families, races, incomes, you know, age demographics are, are pretty varied. Um, but they're all sort of in the same socioeconomic class, like whether it's, you know, oh, I make, you know, 50,000 a year or I make 100,000, like making $100,000 in in New York or LA, you know, having a hundred thousand dollar household is like the bare minimum. Yeah. And so it's like, this is, this is increasingly becoming, or it's always been a class issue, but how it's touching so many people, I think 
is apparent by the diversity that you do see in the suburbs as opposed to the city because you got to have some fucking cash to live in the city. Like yeah. LA, New York, like you got to have some fucking cash. And so that's what I'm saying. I feel like it's interesting that gentrification is so like I don't know, salient, like it's so like you notice it everywhere and I don't know if it's like in terms of the numbers, I don't know like if there's more gentrification now than ever, if more white people are moving into historically black neighborhoods than ever before, or it's just, it's more like at the front of our cultural consciousness. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the city just like, it squeezes the middle out. It's like, it's totally for people that have totally an insane amount of, or like a really, really high level of income or it's for people or not for, but, people who don't have any other choice but to stay fucking put or to move to another part of the city. Right. It's like that, and I we, I feel like I talk about this all the time, but like, it's just like making just like a regular amount of money in the city, New York City specifically, is like, it, it, it seems like it's no longer possible like to be so reliant on because like, you can't really have a car in the city unless you can afford a fucking garage and you pay $500 a month for a fucking parking spot. Right. Um, so, like, you're relying on public transportation. Like, just the cost of living in general is more expensive. Rent is more expensive. Like, there's... Like, you, you're just relying... Like, it just seems like it's... The flight to the <laughs> suburbs for everyone seems like it makes sense. Like, I want to move out to the fucking suburbs. Like, I want to have... I want to be fucking be able to like not have a fucking panic attack just if I like forget something from the grocery store like oh shit I have to go back out again that's- yeah no that's well where do you go to the gro- what grocery store do you go to the one I, you know I forget I, I'm full of shit it's right across the street <laughs> yeah cause I was about to say like unless you go to Whole Foods I you know but what's really bougie is I, sometimes I haven't in a while but I went through a phase where I was ordering the groceries that's what i do from whole foods yeah it's so nice right yeah 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 i i definitely i hate going to the store and seeing all the yoga moms at whole foods (laughs) yeah you love it (laughs) false (laughs) you fucking love it that's gross (laughs) that sounds so gross Edit that out. That that was no. that was gross. That's staying in there. <laughs> oh, Paul. Oh! That's what I'm saying. Yo, Edit God, that shit out. Damn it. <laughs> You're nasty. All right. Fuck. What else you got? Uh, I don't know. I think we, I think we pretty much touched on everything I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Now that you mention it. Yeah. That was pretty ill. It was. Alright. Alright. Now that you mention it.